Well, this morning we're moving into chapter 31 of Deuteronomy, and we'll come to that in a moment. But uh, I just want to draw your attention to something which is amazing. Speaking from the window of the papal apartment overlooking St. Peter's Square, on May the 23rd, Pope Benedict the 16th, he exalted Mary in very much divine terms. Uh, I was looking through various bits and pieces that came in, and before reciting the Regina Coeli, the prayer from his apartment window, that's the Queen of Heaven, and in that prayer it asks God to grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may lay hold on the joys of eternal life. But the Pope uh, spoke of Pentecost and the constant effusion of the Holy Spirit on the Church, which, without which it would exhaust its forces like a sailboat lacking wind. He taught that there is no church without Pentecost and no Pentecost without Mary. The celebration of the solemnity renews strong moments of unity on local and universal levels, he said, citing the Vatican Council and the occasion of John Paul II's meeting with various church movements in the square of St. Peter's in 1998 as examples. But the church, he continues, knows innumerable Pentecosts that enliven the local communities. Think of the liturgy, in particular of those that lived in special moments for the life of the community. In those, the strength of God is perceived in an evident way instilling joy and enthusiasm in souls. There's only one Pentecost. We, we get Christians even praying for another Pentecost, but the Holy Spirit has come into the world. We will not have another Pentecost. There's only one Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is in and abiding uh, with Christians. And the Pope went on, he says, we think of so many prayer conventions in which the young people feel clearly the call of God to root their lives in his love, also consecrating themselves entirely to him. It all sounds so good. But then he went on, there is no church without Pentecost. And added, before he prayed the prayer to the Queen of Heaven, there is no Pentecost without the Virgin Mary. She was present in the upper room where, when the disciples received with her the Holy Spirit who descended and she is in all places and times. The Pope explained this is putting a divine attribute on the Virgin Mary. God is the only one, and his spirit, who is omnipresent. But here he's saying, the Virgin Mary is in all places and times. And he talks of a, a, a function he celebrated in Fatima on May the 13th, with 500,000 people in this sanctuary. 
And he says, among us was Mary, the mother of God. Saying also that wherever Christians join in prayer with Mary, the Lord offers them his spirit. You wonder where they get this kind of stuff. Pope Benedict XVI closed by invoking her aid for the church and its ministers so that the message of salvation may be announced to all peoples. Not far from the Vatican is the Basilica of St. Mary Major. And that's one of the four papal basilicas. And there you will see, if you go on to uh, your websites, there's a 12-foot crucifix with Jesus hanging on the cross and on the other side of the cross hanging is Mary. You know, it really annoys one to think that there are evangelicals today who want to join in with this church or so-called church. They don't condemn this type of thing. They go along with it with its blasphemies and its heresies that Mary is in all places at all times. People like Rick Warren who wants to start ecumenical things throughout the world. Here's what he said. He's talking about his ideas for the world. The bottom line is that we intend to reinvent mission strategy in the 21st century. As I stated, this will be a new reformation. The first reformation returned us to the message of the original church. It was a reformation of doctrine, what the church believes. The second reformation will return us to the mission of the original church. It was a reformation of purpose, what the church does in the world. Our goal will be to enlist one billion foot soldiers for the kingdom of God who will permanently change the face of international missions to take on these five global giants for which the church can become the ultimate distribution and change agent to overcome spiritual emptiness, self-serving leadership, poverty, disease and ignorance. He also went on to say, who's the man of peace in any village? Or it might be a woman of peace. Who has the most respect? They're open and they're influential. Who are they? They don't have to be a Christian. In fact, they could be a Muslim. But they're open and they're influential. And you work with them to attack the five giants. And that's going to bring the Second Reformation. I see absolutely zero reason in separating my fellowship from anybody. And this chap has such influence throughout the world. Thousands of people receive his uh, emails and literature every week. So that's enough of that. But it's the way things are going. 
These people think they're going to prepare the world in order that Jesus can return. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 31 and we'll read a few verses. And Moses went and spake these words unto all Israel. And he said unto them, I am a hundred and twenty years old this day. I can no more go out and come in. Also the Lord hath saith, said unto me, Thou shalt not go over this Jordan. How sad. The Lord thy God, he will go before thee, and he will destroy these nations from before thee, and thou shalt possess them. And Joshua, he shall go over before thee, as the Lord hath said. And the Lord shall do unto them as he did to Sihon and to Og, kings of the Amorites, and unto the land of them whom he destroyed. The Lord shall give them up before your face, that ye may do unto them according unto all the commandments which I have commanded you. Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee great promises there to the children of Israel the time of departure of Moses was, was drawing near the final days of Moses on earth that great warrior of God a wonderful example of faithfulness in the face quite often of rebellion the unfaithfulness of these people who were treasured by God so much through it all, Moses showed that he had a wonderful heart for this mutinous people. And his heart was only one of love toward them. What a wonderful man he was. He pleaded before God for the salvation of this nation. He had offered himself to be punished rather than the people. He'd refused to be given honour by God when God threatened to destroy them. And yet now, as he faced death, he knew that he would not cross over into the promised land. But, you know, he, he never showed any resentment towards these, this unruly nation, only a desire that they followed God. That was his, his one object was that they followed God. I was thinking about this. And when God raised up one greater than Moses. And our Lord Jesus Christ came into the world. The picture we see in Moses. In all its imperfections. Was shown in the Lord Jesus Christ in all his perfections. His love. To do his father's will. His love for the world. He had a heart. For all the people in the world. His sacrifice at Calvary. For the sins of the world. 
He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made righteous in God's sight. And yet, this world, like the Israelites of old, still is wandering around in the wilderness of sin and refuses to accept the gift of God, eternal life through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We see Moses speaking in these verses, in these last few verses in particular, speaking in very solemn tones as he realizes that soon he will depart and his people will be left without his guidance. We saw a week or so ago, in all senses, Moses was a grave man. A man prepared to put before the people this choice of life or death. Choose life. But the alternative was choosing death. Moses knew, or was afraid, that when he departed, there would be difficult times ahead. That the people would be living in a world alongside those who were idol worshippers, those who performed acts of gross indecency and immorality. And so, again and again, he solemnly repeats God's laws and God's commands. You never hear Moses saying what his ideas were. He only declared what God's laws were. Like Noah. Noah, we read of Noah. Noah did all that God had commanded when he was building the ark. When, when the Israelites were building, Moses was instructions, instructing them how to build the tabernacle. They did everything in accordance with what God had said. Nothing of man came into this. What a wonderful man he was. He reminds them of his age. He was 120. And God had said it was time that he would depart. And he reminds them that I won't be going with you over the River Jordan. And that's where things are different. If we accept Christ as our Saviour, as we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we will have Christ with us. With Christ, we will go through the valley of the shadow of death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the psalmist said. It's only a shadow for us Christians. For those who are not Christians go through death into outer darkness and eternal punishment. But Moses gives them hope. Yes, there were nations which were to be defeated. But he said, there's something you should know. Look at verse 3. The Lord thy God, he will go before thee, and he will destroy these nations from before thee, and thou shalt possess them. And Joshua, he'll be going over before thee, as the Lord hath said. And the Lord shall do unto them, as he did to Sihon and Og, kings of the Amorites, and unto the land of them, 
whom he destroyed. And the Lord shall give them up before your face, that ye may do unto them according unto all the commandments which I have commanded you. God has shown that if you trust him, he says, he will defeat your enemies as he has done in the past. He was going before them. And if you note that it was not them who would defeat the enemies. The Lord thy God, he will go over before thee and he will destroy these nations from before thee and thou shalt possess them. They were, if they put their faith and trust completely in God, he was the one who would destroy the enemy from before them. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him. And he will bring it to pass. Do you remember way back in chapter 8? We looked at so many things as we have come through Deuteronomy. Go back to chapter 8. And he had started his wonderful dialogue with these people. And verse 11, in chapter 8, it says, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. And he starts to tell them of the dangers which lie ahead. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full, and hast built goodly houses, and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God. In chapter 31 he's reminding them to trust in the Lord. But he's saying way back at the very beginning, but beware that you remember that. He says in verse 14, Then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents, scorpions, and drought, where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint, who fed, fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. And thou say in thine heart, My power and the might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth. Chapter 31, he's reminding them that it is God who will defeat the enemies. It's not them. Unless they put their faith and trust in God, those enemies will not be destroyed. But if they trust in God, and he will go before them, and he'll destroy the enemies. But he warns them, way back in chapter 8, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant 
which ye swear unto thy fathers as it is this day. Remember, that's why God has given you these victories, has brought you through the wilderness, has brought you through against the fiery servants, against drought, against heat, against enemies, that he may establish his covenant. It shall be if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them then I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish as the nations which the Lord destroyeth before your face so shall ye perish because ye would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord thy God Moses could see all this was going to happen and he keeps throughout all the chapters we've looked at in Deuteronomy repeating again and again and again that they have to follow the commands of the Lord. Sadly, Moses knew too well that they would succumb to this temptation. And what a solemn warning that is to us how do we manage what God has given us all the wonderful blessings and privileges all the, the, the wealth which we have accumulated in the West do we use it as Christians to establish his name amongst those nearest and dearest to us and amongst whom we live and brush shoulders with day by day that's what Moses was saying that's why God had, was going to give them a land flowing with milk and honey it wasn't that they would have a comfortable life they would have a good life if they fully trusted him but that wasn't the object of it remember he says the reason you're going to get that power and that wealth is that he may establish his covenant in that land. And that's why God has given us what he has. Or you may not think you're wealthy, but in the light of most people in the world, we are extremely wealthy. But he has placed us here in order that his name be established where we live. As I was reading this and these passages I was reminded how solemn it was. He was placing before them the fact that they were either going to have life or death. You know, I was reminded of Paul when he was relieving the people in Ephesus. Look at Acts chapter 20. Acts 20. I'm going to read, starting at verse 18. He was taking his leave of the church at Ephesus, the elders. The elders would come to him. He said unto them, Ye know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner, I have been with you at all seasons. 
serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ and now behold I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem not knowing the things that shall befall me there how similar his situation was Moses was leaving Moses was going to die Paul was leaving the Ephesians he didn't know what was going to happen to him when he got to Jerusalem very solemn occasion this for Paul I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem not knowing the things that shall befall me there save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city saying that bonds and afflictions abide me but none of these things move me neither count I my life dear unto myself like Moses in some ways he was so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God and now behold I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men how could he say that he says for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood for I know this that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you not sparing the flock he knew the dangers which lay ahead for this little group of people in Ephesus he'd been with them for three years and yet he could say that these people these grievous wolves would come in not sparing the flock also of of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears for three years he warned them and now brethren I commend you to God he could do nothing more but what a wonderful thing he commended them to God 
unto the word of his grace the word that was the important thing the word of God the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified which are separated unto God for his use I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel yea ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me bit different from what we see in missions and organizations these days sending out begging letters just like as if it was an ordinary charity I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel yea ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me I have showed you all things he hasn't kept back how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive and when he had thus spoken he kneeled down and he prayed with them all what a final speech to this little church and the elders of it another warrior Paul was leaving those whom God had entrusted to him and he was concerned very concerned for them as Moses was for the children of Israel he was leaving them and like Paul he was commending them to God I wonder do we have the concern that Moses had and Paul had for those around us you know Paul wrote a wonderful epistle to this little group of people in that epistle if you read it he explains the wonderful blessings which they had in Christ how they had been saved by grace and it was a gift of God not of works lest any man should boast how that they had been afar off from God and had been brought nigh by the blood of Christ how they were built being built into a spiritual building with Christ as the chief cornerstone and they each of them were living stones within that building he reminded them that they were able to walk in love and that they were to avoid the sins of those around them he showed them how to live godly lives within the family and in the workplace he reminded them that they were in a sinful world and yet God had provided the armor to be used to be able to withstand the fiery darts of Satan to withstand and to be able to stand in the evil day in which they lived you know you often think that the Ephesians when they got these letters from Paul and uh, the other uh, apostles they, they, they must have got excited when the letter arrived you can imagine it a letter from Paul 
voice. He's written this especially to us. And you can imagine the meeting, Lord's Day by Lord's Day, going through each section of the of the letter. Trying to, to, to remember what he said and how it was all backed up with what he has written down in the letter. Went through it sentence by sentence. I'm sure they went over those little bits. We're saved by grace. Not by anything we do. It's grace. We've been adopted into the family of God. We're living stones. Oh, make sure we use the armor of God. You can imagine it. You know, something... These epistles, the word of God has been given to us as well. Oh, we, we, we read stories of like that little girl in Wales who walked miles, Mary Jones and her Bible. The excitement of getting the word of God. Do we get excited about it? Or have we, have we lost that excitement of the word of God? Put it a bit on the back burner. Just to be taken out and used on special occasions as a kind of prop in times of distress and discomfort. Many years ago there was a trend for those promise boxes. Do you remember the promise boxes? They were a little box. And inside were dozens of little rolled up bits of paper with texts written on them. All tightly packed in this little box and with the box came a, a pair of tweezers and you opened up the box and you put it in, pulled out a text and that was your inspiration for the day. You know, the people in the world, they read their horoscopes. Christians use these promise boxes in the same kind of idea. And that was our Bible reading for the day, reading this little promise of God. Do we treat God's word like that? A few weeks ago we were speaking, we reminded ourselves that we have to study God's word in order to be approved unto God and to be a workman that needed not to be ashamed and to be able to divide up the word of truth correctly. If we turn to Revelation chapter 2, 